Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Bernard's Nation, and you can find more tech. And you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BernardsNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media at LonghornPod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a true American hero, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, um, I don't know if I've ever told the listeners on this podcast the origin of that there joke. Um, So it is a tremendous honor to share a name with U.S. Marine Kyle Carpenter, who is the the first living Medal of Honor recipient since World War II. Uh, if you don't know his story, it's actually amazing. Um, if you Google Kyle Carpenter, he he deservedly steals the uh, the top Google spot from me. But he uh, he he jumped on a grenade and shielded his fellow troops. Um, suffered some pretty severe scarring and facial reconstruction as a as a result of it. So that's all to say. About once every two weeks um, now, and in, 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 when it was closer to the event, it was much more frequently, I wake up to motivational tweets uh, from folks who just tell me what a hero I am, um, how much of an inspiration I am, um, how, you know, they I make them proud of this country. I assume that's their, you know, podcast listeners, but there is a chance that they think they are tweeting at, uh, again, U.S. Marine Medal of, of uh, Honor recipient Kyle Carpenter and not... Um, UT Longhorn podcaster and teller of of you know mildly funny jokes, um, Kyle Carpenter that that you all are are having the the pleasure to listen to tonight. It was absolutely incredible when I saw that pop up on on your Twitter feed. It was it made my whole day. I mean, the single best part is it the, the the most recent one, and I retweeted it every once in a while. I will retweet them and just say thanks. Um, but the best part was he was actually a in his according to his his Twitter bio a candidate for uh, for Congress in Mississippi. Um, so you know I you know famous people in the mentions. Um, so you know y'all should definitely be following me if you're not just to see who confuses me for for actual heroes. Let's be really honest. The tweet that the guy has with the incorrect uh, information in it does not have enough likes or retweets for him to not just delete it and start over. So the fact that he left it out there and then just tagged that he got this, the uh, the Twitter handle wrong is just the icing on the cake. In his own mentions, just through an asterisk asterisk at Chick Stick Scars, um, which is a great, great Twitter handle. But Incredible. Um, as much as I love the man, I am I am very proud of owning um, both Facebook and and uh, Twitter um, the at Kyle Carpenter handles. So uh, so yeah, I mean, if if you do know Marine Kyle Carpenter, and you know he's interested in the handle, I could maybe because he's such a you know a noble guy 
um, be convinced for about a you know somewhere into the fifty to hundred grand range to sell the handle. But I mean, just if get at me, uh, you know, we we, we could talk. Jack, if you're listening, and I know you are, Kyle did not just offer to sell a Twitter account to someone more famous than him. <laughs> that is not what happened. Please do not ban us. So as you're listening to this, National Signing Day is tomorrow. So we wanted to do a uh, give you a little preview of what's to come. So to do that, we brought on Mike Roach. You can follow him on Twitter, Mike Roach247, to get some insight on uh, on Texas recruiting. Mike, thank you so much for taking some time out at probably what's one of the busiest times of your year uh, to talk to us. Yeah, this is the – it is a – crazy week actually december signing day has turned into the the craziest week but um this year happens to be uh, uh february is going to be a little busy for me so uh but you know what i always uh love to take time to anybody who wants to talk i still like i'm kind of new to this i've i'm about to hit seventeen thousand followers on twitter and i'm still kind of new, new to the whole thing uh, just the fact that like 17,000 people care what I have to say. Um, so I'm always honored when anybody asks me to come on and do anything with them. I'm always kind of down to do it. So Not only is he one of the best, but he is also just humble about it, which which I love and appreciate. Uh, so we won't want to take up too much of your time. So uh, we'll go ahead and jump in, man. It was the final weekend for visits in 2020. Texas had a ton of names in Three classes, actually, on campus, but two that we want to talk about. Ennis Rakeshaw of Duncanville and Princely Mumalin were both on campus this weekend as Texas looks to close the cycle strong. So let's uh, start with, with Rakeshaw, who's a uh, coming off of a huge senior year at Duncanville. He's seen as uh, many, including yourself, as one of the top priorities for Texas to bolster a defensive back class that has just one other cornerback. So coming out of this weekend visit, man, what's your read? What have you heard uh, about how the weekend went? And where do you think Texas stands uh, in the closing hours of the 2020 cycle? Um, I think that they've, you know, one source indicated to me that they felt they closed as strongly as they could have in that recruitment. Um, It's more going to be a case of did they do enough because they, they got in late on him and they got in late on, um, you know, a couple guys in the cycle, and it's cost them so far. And Rake Straw's the only guy left that they got in late on. And, uh, you know, it's mainly because he was a – it's weird. He was at Duncanville, which is probably next to North Shore, the most high-profile high school program in the state of Texas right now. I mean, both those programs have, have run 6A uh, Division One football at this level with guys like Jaquin and Jackson and, and Chris Thompson. So, I mean, like, I've seen Dunk- – I live in Dallas. I've seen Duncanville – times in the last two years and i knew who ennis rakestraw was but uh you know he really kind of exploded this year in the playoffs and, and saw his stock go up and that got teams in late on him like texas but missouri is probably you know he's down to alabama texas and missouri from what it sounds like i think this is going to be a texas and missouri battle and and missouri's been the one that's been there longer um has been putting in more work and has a longer relationship. So that's really what it's going to come down to is did Texas do enough to kind of close that gap and play what their strengths are, which is being in state, uh, being a, a, a bigger prestige program than Missouri, um, you know, being close to where his, his mom and his family could come see him. Those are things I think they sold uh, during the process and we'll see if those pay off. But right now it sounds like I, I think Texas has the edge, but I I don't know that the decision's fully made and that, that could definitely sway back and forth in the last 48 hours here. Well, and we're, we're hoping that they sold him as we saw in his picture. He posted in front of the, uh, the, the Texas, I guess, wall uh, that said home. Hopefully home is what you're selling on. Cause I'm on, do you really want to spend three to four years of your life in Missouri? Right. Um, my <laughs> wife's from Missouri. Oh no. <laughs> no, I mean, that's look, I tell her the same thing all the time. 
I'd call it misery. So, uh, you know, I and you know, I mean, you guys, I, I assume you guys are native Texans. We understand, um, you know, we, we like our state a lot, and she understands that too. So, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Ennis understands. And this one comment he made was that, um, you know, if you just asked him, hey, what, you know, what was it about Texas that really stuck out to you? First thing I heard him say was it just really felt like home. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping, uh, hoping for Texas that that's that's sold well for him. He retweeted another Texas edit tonight, so that's me reading too many tea leaves. But it, but at least it, it's going to give me a placebo effect until uh, until Wednesday rolls around. Well, welcome to signing day. That's um, that's like that's what we do is we uh, diagnose things that don't really matter. We look, we dive too deep into Twitter. Um, I will go through his likes at some point and see what he's been liking lately. Um, you know, it's just things like that. It's just uh, it's what we do when we're out of answers. If you want to update the uh, Da Vinci Code for new cryptology that involves uh, recruits' tweets, I think there's a market for that book. Uh, but. <laughs> I did want to to move on to another another name that I feel like is is right on fans' lips. Um, we talked Gerald referenced briefly. Uh, Princely uh, was once a Texas commit, then decommitted midseason. Never really cooled on Texas. Um, he's a guy who has some some other hot schools though. After him, I believe ba- Baylor, Texas, Florida, and Auburn were in his final four. What's your read on him? We heard your colleague Nick Harris doesn't have a real good good read. Do you do you have a feel on on where Princely is today and where he might be in a couple days? We've let off with the two I feel least confident about just because because <laughs> okay. um, rake straws newer and, and remember also when we're talking about this is you know we're as much as this new staff is recruiting we're learning this new staff as recruiters as they go along like i know what people have told me about jay valai and, and chris ash and guys like that but i haven't seen it in action and so i'm really going to get to see it for the first time i'm going to get a good read on on you know the way they're able to close and things like that but uh, Princely, I've known him forever, but he's just a tough read because he's a total wild card. There's literally nothing he could do on Wednesday that would surprise me at this point. Um, you know, those are he, he named his top four. It's Florida, Auburn, Texas, Baylor. Auburn's not really a finalist because they're not going to take him. Um, they they told him they were full uh, earlier this week, which is why he visited Baylor, who he said was out of it a week ago. So I mean, that's just you know that's what we've been dealing with. Uh, with him all, all cycle, basically, he is just, you know, nothing he does is 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 really readable. And so for kids who are, uh, are looking to to get lessons in how to maintain a, a clandestine and, and and really secretive recruiting process, you probably talk to him because he's thrown us all off uh, throughout <laughs> the process. I think and, and I'm kind of in the back of my head thought it's just always going to be Texas. It's going to fall back to where options run low. And, and I think he's going to land back at Texas, but that's by no means done. I mean, if you look at the tea leaves, his parents want him close. So I think Florida's out. I think Florida has, you know, talking to sources there has a, has an idea that he's going to stay in state. Um, I think that then if you boil it down to the two in state teams, he's had a longer relationship with the Texas staff than he has the new Baylor staff being that Oscar Giles is still on that, on the Texas staff. He's, repeatedly repeatedly said that he wants to play in a four-man front uh dave aranda runs a three-man front so i mean everything is there but uh, yeah i mean he could commit that dude could commit to like montana on wednesday and and it wouldn't shock me 
we're going to do some pretty heavy hat science, I think, uh, on on Wednesday morning as well. So I'm I'm, I'm intrigued to see it. I, I, when you said the the Baylor thing, I wonder if the the OCAM uh, changed because OCAM was his primary recruiter, if I recall correctly. So like that, do you think that's going to have any impact on on the decision? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that had that staff stayed around with Matt Rule and Frank Oakham, like I think that they would be the runaway leader for him right now, but. I think Baylor did a good job getting him on campus when it when he had said repeatedly like they're out of it, but but I also think that they just I, you know to people at Baylor sources I have there they didn't have a clear read on him and any time a college doesn't have a read on a kid and look I don't there's nobody at Texas that has a clear read on him either but any time that you don't it doesn't you know it's it's not the greatest sign so. I guess in this case you could take solace in the fact that if nobody has a good read on him, then then nobody knows what's going on. But um, I just I'm gonna side with the odds and side with my gut here and really just say Texas. I like it. Not getting any arguments from me. So uh, moving to the staying on the defensive uh, line, moving to a recently minted 24/7 five star uh, Alfred Collins. He's been a name that that Texas fans have been following throughout the cycle. Uh, he's set to decide on signing day, uh, and it seems like it's been a two horse race. I think down the, the stretch between Texas and OU. Now, not to tip your hand, but if you go to 24/7 Sports and look at um, your crystal ball, it has you have it in for Texas. So, how confident are you in that pick uh, with what 24 hours left to go? I'm setting myself up for an all-time kick in the nuts here, I'm sure. And <laughs> you guys will have the audio of it, but I can tell you there's no pick I am more confident in than the Ooh. pick I have on Alfred Collins. Um, and I hate – like, I'm just a, a – in the words of the great Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. And <laughs> I think I every time I make a prediction, I just envision all the ways it can go wrong. Um, but I think, uh, you know – I've I've had that pick in since September 2018. Uh, um, never heard enough any other way to change it. I in the last month I've had the most confidence on things I've heard that I've ever had in his recruitment. And as of right now, I haven't heard anything to change it. So going into this week, he is the guy I am most confident about Texas landing. Um, you know, with within that race, and so obviously that's huge for them can get him another five-star to the class and a big freaky defensive lineman when yeah. the st- state doesn't really churn those guys out year after year you know this was kind of a special year for it so uh you know pair those pair that guy with maybe prince luma malin and right. vernon broughton and and sawyer gorham welch who are already in the class and, and you've got a really good defensive line class for oscar giles there and i think I think the proximity, the fact that his mother is, is a Longhorn legacy, but really the way Texas recruited him is going to win over uh, uh, Alfred Collins in the long run. And that's such fantastic news looking at, at Coach Giles, you know, keeping a spot when many of the staff didn't. It's easy to see why, because this could truly, uh, if, if all of these players with, with the recruiting rankings, you know, turn out to be the, the, the ceiling type of player that we think they can be, this could be a special class. I don't know if I'm ready to compare it to that defensive back class a couple of years ago that truly was just legendary, but I mean, it really is a special class. Could be uh, fantastic for Chris Ash to build around. Yeah, it's a lot of high ceiling class, right? Like it's if those guys all hit their ceiling, you're talking about three or four guys that could play at the NFL. It could probably be drafted very high in the NFL because that's the type of guys, guys like Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton are the type of guys the NFL loves. Big bodies that can move quickly, can play versatile up front. 
uh, use their length well. And I mean, Alfred Collins is a, if you've never seen him in person, it's a scary, scary. <laughs> he, that dude wears like an 18 shoe. It's the biggest shoe I've ever seen in my life. Um, he's just, ma- he's just so freakishly big. So, and, and really the, like one of the nicest kids in the world, but um, you know, he, he even, when we were at the all American bowl in San Antonio I had known Alfred for two years, so I, I'm used to seeing Alfred around. But like when he walked the lobby and all the rest of the guys 24-7 saw him, it was like they everybody just looked up from what they were doing and just stopped typing and, and stared at him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Alfred. So he's a he's a sight to behold. When I when I saw the pictures from his visit and he was in the uniform, I thought Texas had did that corny thing that when they put like the dad or the uncle in the uniform, like that's that is how big that kid is. It's ridiculous. He's he's a gigantic. It, the weird thing is, like a year ago, he was like that height, but like two forty, and now he's like two eighty five. Wow. So think about that. In the year that I've known him, he's added forty five pounds to his frame, and just uh, he's he's a frightening man to be around. Really. Well, uh, I think it's well documented that, that you love and I think all the fans love Alfred Collins. But one guy who doesn't get quite as much Internet love, but I think Gerald and I both uh, both agree that we, we are excited for and are curious to hear your thoughts on is uh, uncommitted athlete Kevante Dixon, brother of Keontae Ingram, uh, similarly out of Carthage. Um, he delayed his commitment until after his senior season, wanted to go all the way through uh, the playoffs like his older brother did, but it's widely believed that he's a Texas lean, if not a Texas lock. Uh, there are any surprises there um, You know, we should be worried about? And, and if not, where do you see a guy with his versatile skill set who played all over fitting in uh, in this class and for the Longhorns? So really outside of, um, outside of, of Alfred Collins, this is the other pick I feel most confident in. Um, and I felt that way for a long time. The only thing that keeps, gives me a little bit of pause is that um, this thing has se- seemed to be done multiple times uh, at many portions of the calendar. And yet here we are. Uh, a day or two from signing day, and it's still not done. So um, I could tell you this. I would be shocked if this thing goes to Wednesday. Um, it has not happened as of now, Monday, when we're recording this. I would guess it happens tomorrow. Uh, if anyone knows anything about Scott Surratt, the head coach at Carthage, he is not one that is going to allow like a, a signing day hat ceremony. It's just not uh, mm. the way that that program rolls. So uh, he, I would assume Calvante will be told uh, um, you, you need to make this decision for that. Either that or the way he is, and he is so weird in this way and so quiet, like he'll just show up and sign and not tell anybody, and they'll send his letter in, and then it'll just get announced. Like that's the way it'll go down uh, otherwise. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he took a, a trip to Houston late. I don't see them as a threat. Arkansas is the only other official he's been on i don't see them as a threat it would along with alfred collins it would actually absolutely floor me if if texas didn't land calvante dixon this feels like it's going to get weirdly broken by like his best friend's girlfriend's twitter like they're they're going to get a picture of him wearing a texas shirt at like 8 15 on the way to the signing like that's how that feel like that's how to me this one feels like it's going to break that's the old kyle porter uh kyle when he committed to texas literally like one of his teammates just tweeted like because kyle porter didn't have a twitter uh, one of his teammates just tweeted, wow, that's crazy. Kyle just committed to Texas. And that's how we got the news. <laughs> Since he, we're going to assume that he's coming to, to Texas, he'll be in burnt orange. He he played like 
three or four different spots for Carthage, it felt like. So where does he slot in? Because that running back room is getting a little crowded at this point, and finally. So where do you think he, he slots in as far as his skills go? Yeah, I don't think he's a running back at the next level. I think he is either a receiver. I really actually kind of like him at corner um, just because of his build, but I've never seen him play corner. So I don't know if he can actually play it, but I, I think he's a guy that can play in the slot. He can play out wide at that Z position and be a deep threat. If anybody watched the 4A uh, mm-hmm. D1 state championship game, he was the game MVP, had a bunch of big plays in that game over the top. And, you know, he's a guy that runs a sub 1100 meter. He's uh, about six foot uh, 180. I mean, he's built just want for for a guy that can be a deep threat and so i think uh, ultimately he probably ends up at receiver keeping moving to guys who are already signed for texas and a guy that i have a ton of questions about and i i gave you a heads up on this is uh three-star athlete jaden hullaby he's out of uh, mansfield timberview he played a lot of running back for the wolves but again like we mentioned before uh running back room is pretty crowded i've seen people talking about maybe him slotting in at linebacker which is i mean i don't know if i ever saw any of his tape him playing linebacker but where where's the where Where's a guy like him slot in at that athlete spot? Now, he played uh, a lot of quarterback this year for Timview after transferring over from Bishop Dunn. I think he's like one of those jumbo athletes, and, and Oklahoma's made a living off those guys in the past couple years playing that kind of fullback, H-back, tight end mm-hmm. position. And I think that that's what Jaden Holby can can do. I think he could maybe be your short yardage back. I think he can be your a guy that you could put in the slot and mismatch with guys. I mean, he's not your traditional tight end, but you can move him around in packages and do a lot of things with him. He certainly has the build, the fluidity, the athleticism to play linebacker. I've just never seen him do it. So I don't, you know, a lot of that to me, I think a, a look at the build and the athleticism and the fluidity and say, oh, he's got it all. But really to play defense, it's it's a lot about mentality, in my opinion, and, and mindset to be able to, to do it. Some guys just aren't defense of guys they don't have the the gear to be more aggressive um like you have to be on defense and so i don't know that he has that in him and won't know until they try to play him on defense so for me i i really kind of like him as that jumbo athlete on offense that can do a lot of different things and line up all over the formation yeah and, and i mean so a guy that gets that talk because there is a need for the linebacker spot um obviously who else is out there? We know that there is, you know, a, a couple spots that are thin across the board, but linebacker's the one that seems to jump out to everyone. Um, do you see anyone out there? Do you see Texas looking at a, you know, a transfer or uh, JUCO player to fill that position as they've done the past few years? What's the, uh, I know this is a tough one, but what's the answer to the the linebacker conundrum for, for UT this year? Well, I think the big news today is that Juwan Mitchell did take his name out of the portal will be returning. Um, that's, so that's one less number you've got to account for. Um, I, I do think that linebackers kind of – linebacker, offensive line, receiver, all three positions I could see them addressing in the transfer portal or finding a late Juco guy. And they've really excelled in the last couple of years finding late Juco guys. If you remember, uh, last year they found uh, uh, Willie Tyler, the offensive lineman. They found him in like mm-hmm. March um, and got him on campus found Juwan Mitchell in like May. So I, I think they've excelled at finding those guys who are about to graduate in the summer and can come right on campus and, and enroll. So I think you'll see a look there, but really I think the, the grad transfer market would be the way to go. As far as in, like specific names, I don't have any right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but those are the three positions I would definitely look for them to address in those off-season areas. 
let's kind of take a, and granted this is all still fluid because this is coming out before national signing day, but looking back at, at this class, there's a lot of, especially we talked a lot of defense today, but there's a lot, a ton of top level talent on the offensive side of the ball. Texas got the number one running back in the, in the two, four, seven, the top two, four, seven, they got two top, I think like what, Almost top 50, but two top 100. I think uh, Jaquinda was right outside of the top 50. Offensive line talent, wide receiver talent. Man, how good is is this class in like a historical context? Like as you look back to the last few groups that Tom Herman has brought in, uh, to me, for the offense at least, this feels like probably one of the best classes he's had uh, in his time at Texas of the four. I would definitely say in pockets. I think they would have liked to have got a lot more out of the receiver position in this class. But if you look at everywhere else, I think that they landed – pretty much ideally what they wanted on the offensive line. And they landed that very early in the class. Mm-hmm. The last couple of years, they've been chasing offensive linemen late in the year and trying to, to tie them down. They landed three before April, and they landed the fourth in July or August. So, I mean, they before the season started, they had an offensive line class. Um, obviously, the, the crown jewel of the class, Bijan Robinson, the five-star from uh, Tucson, Arizona, South Point Christian, um, you know, one of and boys, a legit five star. I, I flew out to Tucson to see him in person. Um, I I saw two players in Arizona this year. I saw Bijan Robinson and Keely Ring. Both those guys were just different when they walked onto the field. And both of them ended the year as five stars. Um, and, and that's a guy that Texas hasn't had a back like that in a very, very long time. Even Keontae Ingram was the top back in the state of Texas, but you know, with all due respect to Keontae, who I'm a big fan of, he didn't have that talent level and that uh, that all-around explosive ability that Bijan Robinson has. And then the quarterback class, you can't say enough about getting two guys, the top two quarterbacks in the state of Texas. You've got one in Hudson Card, who's a bit more of a traditional type of passer uh from a from a strong program but you know has that dual threat athleticism and then anybody that's watched high school football in the state of texas over the last three years can tell you what kind of anna quinton jackson is um i mean he is pound for pound the best football one of the best football players i've ever seen in my life at the high school level and um you know regardless of if he sticks at quarterback or not is a guy that you have to put on the field and just take a shot with i'm just so excited to have lots of those guys you can never have too many i don't care where he plays but get him on the field right now whether it's whittington whether it's uh jaquindon i you know you could never have enough of those guys let's just stockpile them in my opinion absolutely and i mean and whittington i mean he was very much in that same vein of, you know when he was in high school but i think what's funny is people get hung up on well jaquindon can't play if hudson plays while that's true like other than Sam Ellinger, what has happened in the last 10 years that would make Texas think that Texas fans think that, oh, we've got the quarterback situation figured right. out, you know, like that, right. my, my, my philosophy is always throw, find as many numbers as you can and throw them yeah. at the problem until it gets solved. Let's be real. Like 2018, even after a couple of games, we still didn't think we had the quarterback situation figured out. So that's. That's not anything to rest. And 2021 is going to be an open quarterback competition. You've got Thompson. You've got you've got these two new guys coming in. You've got potentially Roshan moving back from running back. There, there's going to be uh, let the best man win, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, that's a problem that Alabama somehow figures out every year, and Clemson figures out every year. Teams that win well and win playoffs, win championships, they figure out how to get multiple five stars on campus and deal with them. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, sometimes sometimes those guys transfer, but you know what? 
Nick Saban's got another five-star right behind him to fill that role, and, and, and the machine just keeps on moving. And I think that, you know, fans, Texas fans too often get hung up on, on well, what if this guy transfers, you know? And, it, you know, it's, it's just the nature of the game anymore. There's only one guy that can play quarterback, so once you get it shake, shaken out, it's okay if one of them leaves. Mike, thank you so much for taking some time out to uh, to hang out with us tonight. Man, if people want to get more of what you've got going on, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at MikeRoach247 on Twitter. Uh, you will get subjected to mostly Texas recruiting, a lot of hockey tweets. As well, a lot of hockey. So, um, if the stars are playing, uh, you'll be, and I'm which gets me in trouble a lot because I'll just tweet in, in as if everybody's watching the game with me, and then people will think it's recruiting related. Um, and, and it's and like if I have a weird tweet and you don't know what it's about, just go look at the schedule and see if the stars are on right then, and that's pretty <laughs> much going to answer your question. Um, you can find me there. Uh, I do a podcast, it's called The State of Recruiting, uh, with Bobby Burton from horns 24 7 um and then i would uh i would uh i would encourage anyone to please subscribe to horns 24 7 we're gonna do a really cool thing uh this thursday after signing day i'll drop my behind the scenes where i basically empty the notebook and tell you everything i couldn't tell you during their year on recruitments and um i've already written part one of it which will come out thursday morning and it was four thousand words and so i've got to start on part two which will be the defensive side of the ball so uh please come check that out it's going to be a, a lot of fun and you'll get all the little dirty little secrets behind those recruitments I would say if you're if you're on Twitter and you're into recruiting and you're not following uh, Mike, you're doing it wrong. Is the only way I could say it. Like that's that's the best advice I can give you. Well, that's a really nice thing to say. I mean, I hope that. Like I said, I I'm still new to the fact that people hear what I have to say. So um, I appreciate that. And uh, anytime you guys want to talk recruiting, I'm more than happy to come on and do it. All right, fantastic, Mike. We'll have you on. I will not have you on to talk about your Liverpool soccer takes, but otherwise I'd love to hear anything you have to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I forgot I do. I will tweet Liverpool soccer on the weekends as well. So, uh, Well, glory, glory, Man United and hook them horns. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so that brings us to the part of the show where we give some shine to the programs that don't necessarily get as much as they should or in some cases get way too much shine, but they're not that good. And we down the 40. So Texas has officially lost to the Kansas Jayhawks at basketball a uh, a result that we expected Kyle but after leading uh, at halftime 33 to 31 the Texas offense dried up thanks to some pretty stingy Kansas defense and Texas's uh, ability to settle for bad shots or their inability to find a good shot. I don't know which one we want to go with, but it was a bad look all around. Yeah, Bill Self is legendary for his halftime adjustments. He likes, especially against Texas, to come out at the start of a second half and make a statement. Um, second time they've done that this the past two games they've met. But um, you know what? Uh, hats off to Kansas. They played a really bad game and uh, didn't look like the number three team in the country, but they still beat Texas by 11, which was a surprising final score. It was like 17 and that felt more right. Um, just, you know, they were very much the better of the two really bad teams. At one point I texted you, Gerald, it looked like that Texas just makes the game of basketball look difficult. And I think that's, I mean, each team shot 16.7% from deep. The difference was just that Kansas overall shot closer to 48% uh, and Texas was at 37%. So it's like, you know, when, when neither team can get the deep ball, does Texas have an off-speed pitch? No, they, they just throw heaters and, and not particularly accurately. Um, yeah, yeah, it was 
Kansas City shot better inside and got to the line 14 more times. So that was the game. Well, yeah, and I think Texas didn't really have an answer down low for uh, for Yudoka Azabuke. Like he uh, he had basically everything he wanted from inside the paint. 17, uh, 17 points, 12 rebounds, so yet another double-double for the big man. And Jericho Sims just doesn't have the body to compete with that guy. And that's that's not how Texas is built. Like Jericho Sims is giving up what like forty pounds to that guy. Like there's no uh, two ways around. Okay, so thirty pounds. I'm sorry, I shorted Jericho ten pounds. He's given up three inches and thirty pounds to a guy in the paint. So like there's not a ton you can ask him to do about that. But uh, Texas again settles for the long balls and unable to knock him down. Yeah, I mean, and to Sims' credit, it's tough. A lot of people in the country have tried against him uh, and not done particularly well. They just kind of stuck him on there in the second half. And, I mean, Sims finished himself with 17 and 9. Not so bad. It's, it's Gerald, after Coleman, who had 20, and Sims, who had 17, no Longhorn had more than 6. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you literally, if you get 37 points from your two guys, you got to find another 30 plus from the rest of the team and, and, and getting six points from your third highest score probably ain't going to cut it. So Texas needs to find some wins in the next few games. They are, uh, they're at risk of, of ending up with looking at the wrong side of a sub 500, uh, record with with some more tough games left on the schedule on the women's side the women also ran into a uh, expected buzzsaw they fell to the uh, should be top ranked Baylor Bears Texas sees its five game win streak snapped thanks to a massive massive third quarter from the Bears yeah sometimes you just you kind of need to check yourself like you 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 know, you're, you're working on a project all on your, your own. You think you got some really good material and you just got to take it out and, you know, pitch it to your team and make sure that, uh, that you're as smart as you think you are. And sometimes they're like, no idiot, that's not smart. You should have come and check with us first before you did all that work. That's kind of how I felt this game went. We were like, this team is pretty good. This will be a, a test when they play. Oh gosh, no. Um, there's a different class. There's definitely um, a, a top tier in the Big 12, and it is solely occupied by Baylor. There's no shame in being on another tier from what is a you know demonstrably elite uh, Baylor squad. But you know, if you have to look at it. Um, a 20-point loss is a lot, um, but you don't expect the UT team to only shoot 24% from the floor. You have to chalk some of that up to Kim Mulkey's defense for sure, um, but they actually regressed from the uh, the first time, uh, or the last time that they met. So, uh, you know, it could be a combination of a bad night and, and playing a, you know, the Monstars um, team post, um, you know, uh, stealing of, of NBA player talent. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to overreact to this one. Even when we talk about how badly they got crushed, it was only half the points that the men lost to West Virginia. So I don't want to give it that level of craze. Um, I don't I don't think you should change the whole narrative of the season on this one, but you would like to see the team bounce back because that's a tough loss and you reveal your character when you respond to tough losses. Yeah, and, and you say that like Texas is not in that top tier, which is fine because as long as Kim Mulkey is, is paroling the baseline uh, in Waco, I don't anticipate any team in the Big 12 truly challenging them. And... Texas is a like late game TCU flurry away from being the second best team in the Big 12. 
and having a significantly longer win streak. So like they are, I would say they beat TCU the next time they meet. Cause that, I don't feel like that was indicative of what those two teams are. So I, I think when Texas heads to uh, Fort Worth for that next matchup, I would anticipate that going differently. So again, this is not like Baylor's Baylor's just the best. I would argue that Baylor is this one of the best, if not the best teams in the country. They're number two for a reason. Yeah, they've won 10 of their last 12, like you were saying before that, all the way going back to kind of what we talked about, that season-changing win after they got back from Hawaii over uh, a highly ranked Tennessee, following it up two games later with a win over number one Stanford. So you know they have the stuff to beat any team. It's just getting that consistency to challenge. The the main thing is, is, you know, this Baylor team's probably the, the true number one in the country. The main thing is, is you get in the tournament, you, you try to be hot and healthy heading into there and, you know, be a top 16, 18 team in the country and anything could happen. So um, I feel pretty good with the remaining Big 12 schedule. Um, like you said, if they can get TCU uh, and and uh, a couple other teams there before they do have one more uh, Baylor matchup at the end of the season, um, they can they can probably uh, feel pretty good about this one, that, that, that it does not define a season. Uh, another team that had a uncharacteristic struggle, uh, number one's men's tennis has their fir- had their first loss of the year over the weekend at the road at number six, Ohio State, that snapped a 10-match win streak dating back to the national championship in last year. Now, again, one match does not a season make. Uh, that, that pivotal doubles point kind of changes the whole tenor of the afternoon. Yeah, it's, it's you know, you hate to see it. I kind of been joking that they were just never going to lose again. Could only lose to themselves. So uh, maybe I jinxed. But, uh, yeah, I think it's it's fine. They they lost to a really good Ohio State team. Um, it happens again. How do you respond? will be the thing that we're watching. They do uh, host Georgia on Saturday, number 16, so they can very quickly redeem themselves with another out-of-conference top 25 opponent and uh, put this one in the review. Absolutely. So, uh, number seven, women's tennis won 5-2, at, uh, at number 22, Georgia Tech, so hopefully a preview of things to come against teams from the Peach State. Uh, Texas won the doubles points. Uh, they would have swept all three, but the Tarotis didn't have to finish their double set because they had already won two of them. Uh, this ha- doesn't happen a ton with Texas women's tennis, but they ended up having to play all seven matches to get the win. Tarati sisters both both scored. Um, they uh, won their matches, but it still took uh, getting every everything from from uh, Audrey Nagy and uh, Fernanda Lebrania, as we love saying on this podcast. Um, but yeah, next up they head to the ITA National Team Indoor Championships, one of my favorite cities, Chicago. Wonderful place when it's nice weather. Chicago in the like the fall and or the spring is my one of my favorite places to go. It's like New York without the filth. Yeah, this is neither of those, but at least it's the indoor championship. Number one and number ten, men and women's respectively, swimming and diving, both went to Arizona and came back with a win. Number four slash number four, men's and women's doesn't matter which order you put them in. Track and field both competed at the Razorback Invitational. Uh, the men won in dramatic fashion. 
They won on the last event, the 4x4 relay, posting the fourth best time in the NCAA this season. They won six events overall, and the women finished third. It's looking like it's going to be a good season for the track team. Yeah, I'm really liking this. This uh, since since they've they've gotten their coach in, they've gotten their people on campus. They seem to be getting better uh, every year, every season. I'm excited to see it. Anytime you go, remember Arkansas thinks we are a huge rival. So anytime you go and beat Arkansas in any sport, uh, whoop it, pig suey, it's a good day. It is a very good day. Texas softball got its highest ranking in the preseason polls since 2006. They were ranked. They're ranked number six in this year's preseason poll. They were number four back in 2006. Yeah, I. Uh... It's a little little reason to be be excited there, guys. You know I'm I'm geared up, I'm jacked up, I'm ready for this team. Softball season is you know hashtag life. I'm all here for Coach White Mike. I uh, I, I just want to remind everyone that year they were ranked number four. They went something to the tune of like 55 to nine that season, uh, 55 and nine, and and reached the second round of the uh, the College World Series. So um, I'm excited for them to go uh, 60 wins based on this and 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 to the final round of the Women's College World Series. You heard it here first. Uh, don't at me freezing cold takes just in case. Uh, thankfully, they. I don't think those guys listen to uh, to our podcast, but we would probably get freezing cold takes quite a bit if they did. When I first saw their record from that year, when I was like doing the research for today's show, like we were working on the show notes, I didn't think it was right. Like fifty, like there's no, there's no way they went fifty-five and freaking nine. And so, like, I was like, yep, nope, they went fifty-five and nine, and they could have had, they had like weird like a weird collapse in the uh, in the Big 12 tournament. Like they went 0 for 2 in the Big 12 tournament that year, which was really, really weird. Uh, they still got a top seed, hosted a super regional, all that. And the rest is history. Kyle just talked about it. But yeah, super, super de duper weird. Uh, last little bit of news. You heard about it from, uh, from Mike on our interview. But after putting his name in the transfer portal, uh, presumably, or maybe if you read Twitter enough, based on conversations that may have happened in his direction or at him or with him, uh, he Juwan Mitchell put his name in the transfer portal and then removed his name from the transfer portal uh, Monday morning. So uh, Texas still thin at linebacker, but uh, presumably a little less thin with a guy like Mitchell, who kind of is the presumed starter. In uh, in tw- in 2020, and we'll have a really really good go of things flying behind that defensive line. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely gonna um, gonna hopefully get the most out of it. I think he he makes the right decision. I think he chose um, the the best of the two options um, that were uh, allotted to him, um, potentially whiteboarded to him. But um, no, I, I'm excited to see uh, my boy Juwan Mitchell. He's gonna get plenty of eyes at Texas this year after Horns wins going to be there for him and i just think all in all it's going to be a uh, a fantastic year uh, for him in a, in a position group that just desperately needs no no further uh attrition or subtraction from its ranks that uh that linebacker group definitely definitely needs some help and hopefully texas finds some guys on the juco and or grad transfer circuit prime Presumably, hopefully, a guy who graduates from JUCO and is eligible to play immediately or a grad transfer. Don't give me any of these. Got to sit out a year transfer guy. So now that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum 
brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, I'm going back to that that evergreen, uh, luscious, never-ending fount of content. Going back to the Alamo Bowl, Gerald, do you remember that a few short weeks ago, that high we rode on as Texas mollywopped, uh, rigmarolled, rickrolled for all I care, took Utah, woodshedded, boat raced, Took Woodshaw. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They did it. They took Utah out behind the uh, the the mountain cabin woodshed that they they had built in San Antonio and just just utterly uh, flogged them. To be honest, but if you remember that game and you watched that game, you are not alone. The Alamo Bowl was the number two most viewed non-playoff bowl and the number three. Most well attended, which is pretty impressive um, that that many people were there filling up the Alamo Bowl and then there was still enough to watch it on TV. But out of the 33 non-college football bowl games uh, this year, it was, like I said, number two, most viewed on TV, number three, most well attended. No word on just how low the Aggies fared in the Texas Bowl. I'm not going to talk about it, but anytime the Alamo Bowl is a legitimate shot for Texas, they should take it because that drive from Austin, real, real easy. You don't even have to get a hotel room. Now, you will. You should because you need to go to the Riverwalk after and be responsible about it. But anytime you get that opportunity, they should totally, totally do it. So I'm banging the drum this week after Jason Washington uh, officially landed with Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Come on, Jesus. I love another reason to watch Mike Leach at Mississippi State. It's now official that all of the departed Texas coaches are officially employed for next year, which is nice. Um, and some of them, I don't even know how, got promotions. Guys like Drew Merringer are now offensive coordinators in places where uh, I don't I don't know how that worked out. But ev- the, the thing I want to talk about for just a second while I'm banging the drum is – like, even when you get fired from Texas, you are still highly employable. Even as bad as the football has been, you get offers to be the defensive coordinator at USC. You get a promotion rather than taking a lateral move. Like, Texas is a couple of big win seasons away from being back to being a kingmaker for coaches. Even when Texas is not good and guys get fired, they land at big-time programs. They land at programs that really, really have some name to them. And not saying, like, Jason Washington was a different situation where he was not, like, outright fired, but he was just not retained by the new defensive staff, and I get that. But, like, guys like Marringer were shown the door before the bowl game, right? Like, that, to me, is a big, big statement on what Texas can do for coaches, and I'm excited to see if Texas can turn this thing around where guys like Jay Valai, who's early in his career end up after their, their time with Texas is done. If you come to Texas as a player, you're going to have a good life as a student. You're going to go on to a successful career as a coach. You're probably going to go on to have a good career. The, the, the underlying factor for all of these things. If you have the opportunity, you better come to Texas. You're only going to regret it. If you don't, there's no two ways around that. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at Gmail. 
Com. I have to mention this because it's in the background. I see the burnt orange hat. Happy birthday to Kyle's wonderful wife, Drew. So glad that she let us take you for just a little bit of time on Monday. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Dirty and purdy, Drew. <laughs> <laughs>